0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson. And this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. So that was what take seven, take eight.
0: Yeah, that took a while, and I feel like our last take, which the one you just did, was very. I feel like we could have put some like light jazz behind it. Or something I know. Like I thought that. it was, it was very like about mellow, just like. like Hey, welcome to the podcast.
1: I was trying something different.
0: Yeah, take a seat over there on the beanbag, you know?
1: Well, you do know I want to be a
0: hippie. (laughs) Okay, okay. You're going to break me, woman.
1: I am. So Dakota, are you familiar with the month of March?
0: I'll use the same joke I did in one of our other takes. I've heard of it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so
1: are you familiar with what it's famous for?
0: st patrick's day but i know that's wrong because again (laughs) an older take
1: (laughs) maybe take like four or five yeah um well for your good luckness i am not doing st patrick because i only got a 6.8 when we did st valentine so i wasn't expecting to have better luck with st patrick so actually the month of march is international women's month except for in canada because canada we celebrate it in october because we're weird but
0: that's odd that we do that. But okay, that's that's cool. I I've um I'm slightly familiar with this, but with by women, that
1: you're slightly familiar I'm with slightly women.
0: familiar with women. I've dated a few And you have a few in your life, like in your family. <laughs> yes, I in my family, that's all. That's the only women I have. That's a joke. I'm faithful to my wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Borat's relevant again. So I can use that you joke You can.
1: Still. <laughs> you can. Yeah, go for it. But actually, so International Women's Month, but not actually international because it's only celebrated in the USA, UK, and Australia uh, is in March. And International Women's Day, which is actually celebrated by internationally, is March 8th. So this podcast does not drop on the 8th. I dropped the ball on that one, but, uh. Way to screw it up. <laughs> I know. On today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about, uh, seven different famous women. So it's kind of like another survey episode. Um, but I'm going to be talking about seven women that I discovered in my research and I wanted to do 10, but 10 was too much. So we're doing seven and here we are.
0: Lucky number seven. <laughs>
1: That's actually what I have written down, literally in my notes.
0: This is this is why we're perfect for each other.
1: Was that that was a stitch impression or something? So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of seven famous women. to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory in the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to many different First Nations of Canada. So I wanted to start this podcast today by saying that if you're new to us, thanks for checking us out. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to us and we would love to hear more from you. So you can contact us at TheReluctantHistorian at gmail.com or you can leave us a review. And we- Only five stars. And we also know that episodes one to four don't have the most excellent sound quality. So if you are just starting to listen to us, go back and listen to episodes five and six, but don't listen to one and four unless you really, really love us and can get past the sound quality. (laughs) We're learning as we go. (laughs) P.T.S. P.T.S. So Dakota, your golden nugget. What was your golden nugget for this week?
0: So my golden nugget is a little bit of a surprise for you. Okay. We're going to go somewhere tonight. What? It's a quick trip. What? Are you shocked? Yes. We're gonna go get blizzards.
1: <gasps> Shut the front door.
0: Yes, I was. I was I in a meeting. I was in a meeting earlier with my uh, boss, and she got brought a blizzard, and it was a, Ho- a Hawaiian blizzard. It was like like
1: pina coladas,
0: <laughs> just like that. No, it was. Uh, it had pineapple, banana, and coconut in it. Mm. And I- I'm not entirely sure if I'm gonna get it, but I'm intrigued. And I want to see what else they got right now. So Mm. a little bit later after supper, we're going to go get some Mm. blizzards. Treat ourselves. Treat. It's supposed to be treat yourself, but it didn't work out that way because there's two of us. So, yeah, that's my golden nugget. I'm excited. What about you? Is your golden nugget that I'm taking out for blizzards and I'm buying because I, well, I don't make as much as you. But, you know, I have some money. You're my sugar, baby. That's true. Thank you. Okay, what's your golden nugget?
1: Uh, so my golden nugget is that um, we had Feb break about a week and a half ago. And this week I've been back at the office. And I've just really been loving being back there. I have never worked in an office before because I'm a teacher. And we work... Not in offices. We work in front of students. And so now that I'm teaching online, we're kind of like all in this like little room together and we all have our own little cubicles, but we all can like yell over our cubicles at each other and the women in the office are awesome. And I just really like being able to like, you know, talk about teaching and good teaching practices and um, just sharing our lives with one another. And it's been really refreshing. And I've just been really thankful for that opportunity and I missed the ladies, so those of you who are listening, you know who you are. I've miss, missed them over the Feb break, and it was just really nice to go back and see them last week and this week. And now, we've started like a OLC fitness group, so we're like going to do CrossFit together and go swimming together, and that's also really exciting because I want to get fit because the girls that are in my office are really fit, and I'm not. I tried to walk with them, and I broke my foot, literally. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, to, to those girls, uh, you need to slow down. Don't walk so fast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you've been, uh, yeah, you've been really feeling work lately and it's been really nice to see that you've been enjoying it so much. So
1: that makes me happy. Mm, yeah. Did you know that the most searches for International Men's Day occur on International Women's Day on March the 8th?
0: And of, of course. Of yeah. course. Men are like, but where's our International
1: Men's Day? Mm-hmm. And it's not a one-off. It hasn't happened just one year. And It's then every a, year. It's every year since yeah. about 2013. Um, but alternatively, there is no spike in searches for when is International Women's Day on International, international Men's Day.
0: Wait, is there an International Men's Day? There is. Oh. I don't know when
1: it is. Don't ask me.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's... So, <laughs> these men that look it up every year, uh, well, when's International's Men's Day? Do they just forget every year? And then they go back and they'll be like, huh, International Women's Day? When's International? Oh, right. I looked that up last year and then didn't, didn't care <laughs> at all.
1: No, because they wouldn't care. They just are like, it's not something for me. So I have to be angry about it. <sighs> that's typical. That's typical. Mm. Typical men. Typical men. <laughs> So for, in honor of Women's Month, um, I wanted to look at stories of seven fascinating women that I had never heard of before today. Well, some of them I actually had heard of before, but uh, I wanted to learn more about them. So that's what I decided to do for this episode.
0: Is one of them Amelia Earhart? She's a famous woman, I know.
1: Yeah, no, we're not doing her.
0: Oh, okay. I just, uh, when you said that you didn't know them, I was like, oh, she probably knows Amelia Earhart. She's a teacher, but
1: you know. And Amelia Earhart wasn't a teacher. No, you're a
0: teacher. Yes. You're a teacher, so you probably know who Amelia Earhart is. I do know is, who she is. is. what I was saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do know who she is, yes. Yes. Um, But, do- like, there's a good this is a good point. There were a few women um, that I want to do full episodes on. So oh, okay. um, I didn't choose to cover them in this episode. Yeah,
0: but, No, that's, that's good. Okay, well, cool. I'm excited to learn about uh, these seven fascinating women.
1: Okay, our first one up is... Kahuta Lahun. Yes. So she is a Mongol noblewoman and wrestler. Oh,
0: well, is that why you picked her?
1: Yes. She is the great, great granddaughter of Genghis Khan. Oh, cool. Who uh, was the Mongol warlord who had pretty much the biggest empire in the world, um, the Mongol emperor. That only lasted like 70 years. So her story really fascinated me. She was born in 1260 AD and was the daughter of a man named Kaidu, who was at the time one of the most powerful rulers of Central Asia.
0: Oh, Hold on. Not to be confused with Kaidu, right? Right. Okay, good. Good. I hate that little fuck.
1: <laughs> she, he ruled after the Mongols under Genghis Khan had split their empire into different Khanates. And at this point, the different Khanates were at war with one another over how the empire should be ruled. So Kutalun was Kaidu's favorite child. He favored her over her 14 brothers. Jesus. (laughs) And her physical strength and skill in archery, horseback riding, and warfare made her the ideal right-hand companion in battle. So he would ask her for, you know, military help and fighting skills. She would ride by his side, taking captives on horseback, and she was described by Marco Polo as a superb warrior one who could ride into enemy ranks and snatch a captive as easily as a hawk snatches a chicken.
0: A super warrior or a superb warrior? Superb. Okay, I was just like, <laughs> just uh, Marco Polo. Damn, she's a super warrior. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, in addition to this, her father relied heavily on Kahootelun for military and political advice. So the part that I think is most fascinating about her is that she insisted that any man who wished to marry her must defeat her in a wrestling match any man of mine must defeat my (laughs) wrestling i'm glad you
0: i'm glad you picked up because i had literally nothing after any man of mine (laughs) i got you babe yeah thank you i got
1: you um but could you imagine if you had to marry me uh like if you had wanted to marry me and been like I was like, no, only if you can beat me in a wrestling match, we would have not gotten married.
0: No, I, I've, um, I've yet to best you. I know. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> uh, I used to wrestle when I was in university. Listeners, Dakota did not.
0: I used to play a WWF video game. That's good. That's, that's good. That's all the fighting knowledge I have.
1: Yep. So if her suitors could not beat her, they had to give her a number of horses instead. Uh, she is said to have collected 10,000 horses from these failed suitors, amassing a herd as big as the emperor's.
0: Damn. That is a that is a great scheme, like, for, for the olden days. Like, I feel like, um, I don't want to say get rich quick scheme, but I, I feel like that's just like a good, like... If she knows she's the best, that's just a great way to amass this fortune.
1: Mm-hmm. Smart, very yeah, smart. smart. Yeah. Um. Much of what we know of her comes from the written historical accounts of Marco Polo and a Persian historian called Rashad Al Din. That means that many of the historical details surrounding her life are hazy. So, thus, there are several different accounts of her eventual marriage because she did end up getting married.
0: This person beat her in a in a fight.
1: No. So one version is that she heard that people were spreading rumors that she was having an incestuous affair with her father, and so to stop that, um, on his to so to stop that effect on his um reputation, she chose to marry a man without wrestling him first. So to save her father from this bad reputation, she said, "Okay, I'll marry this guy." Uh, Rashad Al Din wrote that she finally fell in love and married a Mongol ruler in Persia who is named Gazan, and in other accounts. She married a prisoner who had failed to assassinate her father. Wait, these... They don't know who she married? Yeah, your favorite
0: part of history. Ah, I need certainties, dear. I
1: know. Uh, so, but what remains the same among all of these stories is that she did finally agree to take a husband, but remained undefeated as a wrestler, and her athletic dominance was unchallenged. She died at 46 under mysterious circumstances, and her story was forgotten until 1710, when a Frenchman who was putting together a biography of Genghis Khan turned her story into one called Turandot, meaning Turkish daughter. In this story, he changed a lot of her history, um, saying that Turandot challenged her suitors with riddles instead of wrestling, and they were killed <laughs> if they got it wrong. Now, riddle me this. If you can <laughs> defeat my riddle, you can marry me. <laughs> yeah. Centuries later, this story was turned into an Italian opera, which was even further off the actual history. But in Mongolia, Kutland's story is honored to this day. So that was like a really short story, but I like that lady. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: I also wonder, like, so the story was forgotten until a long time later. We'll just go with that. I'm, I don't remember the years specifically, but I've... How does that get just brought up again? It was like, this guy just like... Hey, remember that chick who used to used to get guys to uh do riddles for her? <laughs> hey, anybody remember him? So her? he probably would
1: cuz he was researching her great-great-grandfather's <laughs> oh, okay. history and, and so he would have found she her. Came up. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. And somehow it turned into riddles. Yeah. Which I Well, ri- I you really can't like. have a
1: strong woman, babe, especially in 1710 French society. She has to be weak and meek. She can't go off wrestling people.
0: Well, how did they feel about smart women cuz Riddles are st- uh, tough,
1: that's true. Riddles so, are hard,
0: um, I don't know. I guess in their mind, it's better to have a smart woman than a tough woman. I don't know I don't know. yeah, anyways, so good story
1: number two, while I was researching Kutla Kutlahan, I came across a the story of Ching Shi who was a sex worker turned pirate lord in the 18th century
0: oh uh, this sounds fun (laughs) and became
1: known as the terror of south china oh this is cool (laughs) ching Shi was born xilgang chu in uh 1775 and grew up in the guangdong province of southeastern china at one point in her life she worked as a sex worker on a floating brothel a floating brothel yeah these are fun stories. I'm enjoying this so far. <laughs> In 1801, she met Zheng Yi, the pirate commander of the Red Flag Fleet, when he did one of two things, so they don't know what exactly happened either. Super. He ordered a raid on the brothel and captured Qing Shi, or he just asked her to marry him. The historical record is unclear. In either account, though, she said yes to his proposal, but only after Yi assured her that he would meet certain conditions, which included an equal partnership in fleet leadership as well as 50 percent of his share of anything attained afterwards wow and and what was the time period in this one 1801 and he was just cool with that mm-hmm. wow Ye agreed and stayed true to his word and the pair went on to run the ever-growing fleet of pirate ships together at the time of the marriage the couple owned only 200 ships but a coalition with powerful cantonese pirate forces allowed the red flag fleet that's really hard to say to comprise somewhere between 1700 and 1800 ships one of their largest successes came in 1804 when the fleet issued a blockade of a Portuguese trading port in Macau, which is located on the south coast of China. The Portuguese sent a squadron to fend off the pirate attack, but the red flag overpowered them. However, just six years after marrying Xi, Tseng Yi fought his last fight amid the Te Song Rebellion in Vietnam, where he died in 1807. But that's not the end of Qing Xi's story. Xi saw this as an opportunity to rise to power, And with the support of the Red Flag Fleet's second-in-command, Cheng Pao, she took command of the entire squadron. Now, she was officially known as the name that she would be remembered by, Ching Shi, which translates to Ching's Widow. As the new boss, she oversaw somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 pirates. She started her regime with a strict code of conduct. Going forward, the crew would account and register any and all money seized in raids before they could distribute it amongst themselves. So she made them tell her how much money they had captured. Likewise, the ship responsible for the capture would receive 20% of the bounty with the remainder sent in a large collective fund that the entire fleet could enjoy. Anyone caught withholding bounty would face severe whippings and on some occasions, beheadings.
0: I like the idea that so you said 20%, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea that through this whole process, her only real goal was to tre- teach these lowly pirates how to do math. <laughs> you know? That was her, like, <laughs> her end goal, really.
1: I hope so. Yeah. Everyone was behind Xi's leadership, and they would go on to pillage the South China coast, taking over several towns and taxing countless others, using violence to help them succeed. Often, She's fleet would nail the feet of resistors to the decks of her ships before the real torture, a beating would begin. This proved effective for she and her fleet, as under her rule, they were able to sink 63 Chinese government vessels, prompting the British and the Portuguese to stay out of her affairs. Beyond this success, she is also known for the rules she imposed on the ship's women prisoners. The pirate lord would allow her crew to keep attractive women as wives or concubines, on the condition that they remain faithful and take care of their new wives. If they defied she's orders, specifically practicing infidelity or raping their partners, they would face beheading and execution. As for the ugly women, she would release them with no harm done. Oh, nice. (laughs) Not only did she demand loyalty to the wives, but also to the pirate fleet. If a pirate abandoned the Red Flag Fleet, her crew would seek him out and if captured, cut off his ears. Fuck. Three years after becoming the leader of the Red Flag Fleet, the emperor saw no way to defeat Xi, so the emperor of China. So she had been like terrorizing the seas of China. So he struck a deal with anyone who was willing to return to the mainland. She received amnesty and could return to civilian life without ceding any of her wealth. She went on to marry her former underling, Pao, and they returned to the Guangdong province where she opened and operated a gambling house until her death in 1844 her legacy lives on in disney's pirates of the caribbean franchise as mistress ching one of the nine pirate lords really yes
0: okay i'm honestly i'm uh, not extremely familiar with the nine p- pirate lords like i can picture a scene where they're all gathering together in the third pirates of the caribbean movie but i can't picture her but that uh it's very interesting makes me want to kind of go back to it i find although she did horrible shit apparently and apparently you're <laughs> you're like ah she's great I think it's really cool that um, she was able to convince all of these pirates to follow her. Mm-hmm. That's that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she, she was very she, she, she was a very strong woman, I can tell. Mm-hmm.
1: So we're on to number 3. Hat Hashupshut. I had to look that up and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I could be wrong. So we're heading over to Egypt to learn about the pharaoh Hatshepsut. She was the ruler of Egypt in around 1473 BCE. She was the elder daughter of King Thutmose and his queen Ams and became the queen of Egypt when she married her half brother, Thutmose II, at around age 12. She became one of his secondary wives.
0: How would you feel if I okay to be you being like? So I'm thinking about getting a secondary wife. You know, it's like it's like getting a a second car
1: or something at this point. <laughs> some some cultures do it.
0: Yeah, get second cars or second wives.
1: Both. Oh, good point. Upon his death, she began acting as regent for her stepson, the infant Tutmosis III. But less than seven years later, she took the unprecedented step of assuming the title and full powers of a pharaoh herself, becoming the co-ruler of Egypt. With Thutmose the Third. She was only the third woman to become Pharaoh in the three thousand years of ancient Egyptian history, and the first to attain the full power of that position.
0: Interesting. I didn't actually know that there was a woman that was a pharaoh.
1: Yeah. Ever. That's actually really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, from what I could understand, they had kings and queens, but then like the pharaoh was the top, top guy, person, leader. Um, but they didn't have like a word that designated gender in terms of like, you know, if you have a king and you have a queen, it was just Mm. pharaoh. Oh, okay. But I could be wrong. I didn't look too deeply into it. And
0: uh, we'll just assume you're right. Yes. Unless anybody wants to write in and tell Correct her me. that she's wrong.
1: Correction connection. Ooh. Knowing that her power grab was highly controversial, Hetebshet found the def- fought to defend its legitimacy, pointing to her royal lineage and claiming that her father and even the god Amun had appointed her a successor to the throne. She sought to reinvent her image, and in statues and paintings at that time, she ordered that she be portrayed as a male pharaoh with a beard and large muscles. In other images, however, she appeared in traditional women's regalia. As pharaoh, Hatshepsut undertook ambitious building projects, particularly in the area around Thebes. This made me think of Assassin's Creed. Her greatest achievement was the enormous memorial temples at Deir el-Bahari, considered one of the architectural wonders of ancient Egypt. She commissioned hundreds of construction projects, and arguably, her buildings were grander and more numerous than those of her predecessors. Another great achievement of her reign was a trading expedition that she authorized that brought back vast riches, including ivory, ebon, gold, leopard skins, and incense, to Egypt from a distant land known as Punt. I come from a distant land. Punt! Punt! Hatepshut probably died around 1458 BC, when she would have been in her mid-40s. She was buried in the Valley of the Kings, which was also home to Tutankhamun. Tutmos III went on to rule for 30 more years, proving to be both an ambitious builder like his stepmother and a great warrior. Late in his reign, Tutmosis III had almost all of the evidence of Hatepshut's rule, including the images of her as a king on the temples and monuments that she had built, eradicated, possibly to erase her examples as a powerful woman ruler. What a dick. Mm-hmm. As consequence, scholars of ancient Egypt knew little of her existence until 1822 when they were able to decode and read the hieroglyphics about her. In 1903, her sarcophagus, one of the three that she had prepared, was discovered, but it was empty like nearly all of the tombs in the Valley of the Kings. After launching a new search in 2005, her mummy was discovered and is now housed in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo.
0: That's wild. Only 2007- she was discovered. I was 15. I existed. Mm-hmm. I honestly, You were like 40 or something.
1: That's true. I was 43, actually.
0: Ah, uh, yes. And now you are like 60. It's true.
1: So. I thought you were actually going to make a comment about Brandon Fraser's The Mummy because oh. I know you love it, but so, you didn't. So, so here we a, are. No, no.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because this entire time I've been thinking about The Mummy. I'm not <laughs> even kidding. I'm like, you're talking about like pharaohs and stuff like that. I'm like, don't watch The Mummy tonight. I mean, maybe not tonight, but like I'm feeling The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Not The Mummy 3, though. That movie sucks.
1: That's fair. Okay, so we're going to bop ahead a couple thousand years.
0: Okay. That's the end of the, that's the end of her. Okay. Well, that was cool. I'm, uh, I just want to say that I'm intrigued that, uh, only in 2007 she was discovered. uh, I want to reiterate that because that's just super cool that something, something so long ago would just became, I don't know, discovered only math ago. I don't math
1: 13, 14 years ago. Something like that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Let's move on. Okay, we're going to talk about Ada Lovelace. That'd be a cool last name. Yeah. Hello, I'm Lovelace. One of the ladies in the office was very excited that we were going to talk about her. Oh,
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm now very intrigued. She was an English mathematician. An English mathematician. I was Is hoping this you person- going to say
1: I'm less intrigued. <laughs> uh,
0: well, if you didn't tell by the way I repeated it, that wasn't a sound of excitement. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so. uh, she was the daughter of the poet Lord Byron. And has been called the first computer programmer because she wrote an algorithm for a computing machine in the mid-1800s. 1800s. 1800s.
0: Computer programming, you say? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now I'm more intrigued. And that's also really cool. 1800s? That's wild. Continue.
1: She showed her gift for mathematics at an early age. She translated an article on an invention that had been created by a guy named Charles Babbage and added her own comments. Because she introduced many computer concepts, Lovelace is considered the first computer programmer. Ada was born on December 10th, 1815, and was the only legitimate child of the famous poet Lord Byron and her mother, Lady Anne Isabella Byron.
0: Sounds like Lord Byron was up to no good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Their marriage was not a happy one, and Lady Byron separated from her husband only weeks after their daughter was born. In 1835, she married William King, so this is Ada, who became the Earl of Lovelace three years later, allowing Ada to take the title Countess of Lovelace. Lovelace had an unusual upbringing for an aristocratic girl in the mid-1800s. At her mother's insistence, tutors taught her mathematics and science. Usually they'd just be doing needlepoint. Such challenging subjects were not standard fare for women at the time, but her mother believed that engaging in rigorous studies would prevent Lovelace from developing her father's moody and unpredictable temperament, because he was like a sad poet. Uh, uh.
0: <laughs> oh i've got problems let me write about it oh. <laughs> gross
1: lovelace was also forced to lie still for extended periods of time because her mother believed it would help her develop self-control from early on lovelace showed a talent for numbers and language around age 17 ada met charles babbage a mathematician and an inventor he was credited with the invention of the first computer the two became friends and he served as a mentor to her Through Babbage, Lovelace began studying advanced mathematics with a University of London professor. Lovelace was fascinated by Babbage's ideas. He had invented the difference engine, which was meant to perform mathematical calculations. So basically a calculator. Lovelace got a chance to look at the machine before it was finished and she was captivated by it. She was later asked to translate an article on Babbage's analytical engine that had been written by an Italian engineer for a Swiss journal. Wow. Well, I was just like, there's so many different weird languages there. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs>
0: I was just thinking, like, so she's fascinated that he made this calculator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I'm guessing it was rather big at the time, right? I don't know what it looked like. Well, you know, computers were used to be huge and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so I'm assuming.
1: What was his last name? babbage babbage your calculator is huge <laughs> it's probably what she was saying yeah um so he wrote an article about it it was um no somebody else had wrote an article about it and he was italian and it needed to be translated for a swiss journal so she not only translated the original french text into english but also added her own thoughts and ideas about the machine her notes ended up being three times longer than the original article, and her work was published in 1843 in an English science journal. She used the initials AAL for the publication, and I'm assuming that's because women couldn't write at the time, so if she wrote it, it would be, like, witchery. Yes. <laughs> in her notes, Lovelace described how codes could be created for the device to handle letters and symbols along with numbers. She also theorized a method for the engine to repeat a series of instructions, a process known as looping that computer programs use today. Lovelace also offered up other forward-thinking concepts in the article. For her work, Lovelace is often considered to be the first computer programmer. Lovelace's article attracted little attention when she was alive. In her later years, she tried to develop mathematical schemes for winning at gambling. Unfortunately, her schemes failed and put her in financial peril. Lovelace's contributions to the field of science were not discovered until the 1950s. Her notes were reintroduced to the world where they were published in an article called Faster than thought, a symposium on digital computing machines in 1953. Since then, Ada has received many posthumous honors for her work. In 1980, the U.S. Department of Defense named a newly developed computer language called Ada after her. Cool. It's too
0: bad that she didn't get any recognition while she was alive. It seems that's usually the case, eh, with artists and Mm -hmm. musicians. It just seems to be after they're dead is when, you know things blow up
1: well and i think also too just from reading about her is my understanding is that she was probably thinking ahead of her time and they probably didn't even have like they didn't have computers and she's talking about how to write code and they don't really have the computer so i don't think that they had the technology to do what she was theorizing so i think that also contributed to yeah it. she's just way ahead of her time mm-hmm. okay we're gonna talk now about bessie coleman she was the first black and indigenous woman pilot Very cool. She was born in Texas on January 26, 1892 to a black maid named Susan and a black indigenous sharecropper named George. In 1901, her father decided to move back to Oklahoma to try and escape discrimination. Bessie's mother decided to not go with him. Instead, the family stayed in Texas. Bessie grew up helping her mother pick cotton and wash laundry to earn extra money. By the time she was 18, she had saved enough money to attend the Colored Agricultural and Normal University, which is now known as Langston University, in Langston, Oklahoma. She dropped out of college after one semester because she could no longer afford to attend. At 23, Bessie went to live with her brothers in Chicago. She went to the Burnham School of Beauty Culture in 1915 and became a manicurist at a local barbershop. Meanwhile, her brothers served in the military during World War I and came home with stories from their time in France. Her brother teased her because French women were allowed to learn how to fly planes, and Bessie was not.
0: Like, how does that go? Ha ha, you'll never live your dreams. And then, like, pushes her over, <laughs> or what? I don't know. Like, fuck, that's like... You're a brother. I, I know, it just, like, as a brother, I mean, just seems a little harsh. All I would do is, like, like, there was this one time where, like, we were playing video games, and Mackenzie did something I didn't like, so I, like, I just, like, pushed her face down, and, like, she bumped her head on her no on her, uh... On her knee, and like her nose started bleeding, you know, like, That's just not teasing, That's just bullying. Just, no, no, you know, <laughs>
1: tomato to bullio. <laughs> so, this teasing made Bessie want to become a pilot. She applied to many flight schools across the country, but no school would take her for two reasons one, because she was black, and two, because she was a woman. So she was advised to move to France, so she began taking French classes at night because her application to flight schools needed to be written in French. So good for you, girl, because I tried to take French classes and no.
0: Yeah, I also tried to take French classes in grade six, uh, but I was doing so bad at all my other schools, so I got taken in a French class so I could do better in my other classes. That's fair. So I could have been a French lady pilot, <laughs>
1: but I wasn't allowed to be. Because you didn't learn French? Exactly. Mm. Finally, Bessie was accepted at the Caudron Brothers School of Aviation in Le Crote, France. She received her international pilot's license on June 15, 1921 from the Federation Aeronautique Internationale. Bessie's dream grew to own a plane and open her own flight school. She gave speeches and showed films of her air tricks in churches, theaters, and schools to earn money, for Bessie was well known for performing flying tricks. Her nicknames were Brave Bessie and Queen Bess.
0: I'm just picturing her showing them in the class and be like, being like, she's playing the video and she's like, shit, you guys aren't prepared for this. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, she's like, then she does like a barrel roll or something like that.
1: Yeah, her goal was to encourage women and black people to reach their dreams. She refused to speak anywhere that was segregated or discriminated against black people. In 1922, she performed the first public flight by a black woman. She was famous for doing loop-the-loops and making the shape of an 8 in an airplane. People were fascinated by her performances, and she became more popular in both the United States and Europe. Only two years into her flight career, Bessie survived her first major plane accident. In February 1923, her airplane engine suddenly stopped working and she crashed. She was badly hurt in the accident and suffered a broken leg, a few cracked ribs, and cuts on her face. Thankfully, she was fully able to heal, and the accident didn't stop her from flying, and she went back to performing dangerous tricks. Through her hard work, she was able to save up enough money to purchase her own plane. On April 30th, 1926, Bessie took a flight with a mechanic named William Wills. Wills was piloting the plane, and Bessie was in the passenger seat. At about 3,000 feet in the air, a loose wrench got stuck in the engine of the plane, and Wills was no longer able to control the steering wheel, causing the plane to flip over. Bessie was not wearing a seatbelt, and planes at the time did not have a roof or protection to keep her inside the plane. Bessie fell out of the plane and was killed. Wills crashed the aircraft a few feet away from Bessie's body and also died. Her death was heartbreaking for thousands of people. In 1931, the Challengers Pilots Association of Chicago started a tradition of flying over her grave every year, and in 1977, black women pilots formed the Bessie Coleman Aviators Club.
0: For some reason, I didn't expect her death in this story. I I don't know why you've been kind of doing that, but like, I was just like, oh, this just sounds like it's all gonna have a happy ending. But I think it's really. I think the story was really inspiring and like, I give her props for going after what she wanted no matter what. If, if there was like these obstacles in front of me, I would just be like, I guess I'll do something else. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, a testament to where our society is nowadays versus where it is, was back then. Or I'm just lazy. (laughs) Who's to say? (laughs) Let's just, let's just say the first, let's just say the first one so that it doesn't just point a figure at me that I'm lazy.
1: Yeah, that was that was a good one. I like that. All right, so now we're going to move on to a woman named Gertrude Elderly. It's a quick one.
0: Hello, I'm Gertrude. I'm Elderly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is a quick one, uh, but because I like swimming, I wanted to talk about her. Gertrude Elderly was an American competitive swimmer who was born on October twenty third, 1905 in New York City. She trained at the Women's Swimming Association where it had already become the center of competitive swimming, a sport that was becoming increasingly popular with the evolution of a bathing suit that made it easier to get through the water. So prior to this, think of like the bloomers and stuff that they had to wear. Oh, yes. Yeah. The director of the Women's Swimming Association had been arguing to make women's swimming a sport in 1917 and 1919 and was pressuring the swimming community to allow swimmers to remove their stockings. Can you imagine? They had to wear stockings to swim. Damn. For competition, as long as they quickly put on a robe once they got out of the water. Elderly joined the club when she was 12, and at the same year, she set her first world record in the 880-yard freestyle, becoming the youngest world record holder in swimming. She set eight more world records after that, seven of them in 1922. At the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris, she won a gold medal as a member of the first-place U.S. team in the 4x100-meter freestyle relay. She also won two individual bronze medals. She had been favored to win gold in all three and would later say her failure to win three golds in the games was the biggest disappointment of her career. In 1925, Elderly swam 22 miles from Battery Park to Sandy Hook. So those are places in America. I don't know where they are or how far away they are. Well, they're 22 miles from one another.
0: So we do know one of those facts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I don't know where they are or how far they w- they were from each other well
1: twenty two miles actually, so she did it in seven hours and eleven minutes, a record time that had previously stood for eighty one years. She then set her sights across the ocean and decided to attempt to swim the English channel, so that's the space between England and France
0: That's a long ways
1: yes, <laughs> she was sponsored by the Women's Swimming Association. And she went to France to train with a man named Jabez Wolf. Hello,
0: I'm Jabez Wolf.
1: A swimmer who had attempted to swim the channel 22 times.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Jabez Wolf, uh, did he make the. Jabez. Jabez. Did he make the uh, fr- uh, French version of Law and Order? Boom, nailed it. Dick Wolf, you know? No? This isn't landing? <laughs> <laughs> Dick Wolf, he produces uh, Law and Order. <laughs> the-
1: Keep, keep going. The training did not go well. Wolf continually tried to slow her pace, saying that she would never last at that speed. In her first attempt at the channel on August 18, 1925, she was disqualified from attempting when Wolf sent another swimmer into the water to rescue her. And that's air quotations. According to elderly and other witnesses, she was not drowning, but resting, floating face down. (laughs) She bitterly disagreed with Wolf's decision. Previously, Wolf had commented that women may not be capable of swimming the channel, and it was speculated that he did not want elderly to succeed.
0: I just have a quick comment. Years ago, it was speculated that I almost drowned in 2012. I just want to say that I wasn't drowning. I was resting by flailing around. Okay. I just want you to know that there is absolutely While also no merit. To the bottom. There is no merit. To me, drowning. I know how to swim, so stop telling me I need adult swimming lessons.
1: (laughs) Listeners, I try to tell Dakota at least once every three months that he should take adult swimming lessons. And I refuse. Because he was resting in the water face down.
0: I stand by it. Continue.
1: Finally, her successful attempt occurred one year later, this time training with her coach named Bill Burgess, who had successfully swum the channel in 1911. She started at Cape Gris Nez, Gris I'm sorry, AdT In France at 7:08 on the morning of August 6, 1926, Elderly wore motorcycle goggles to protect her eyes from salty water and used the front crawl, making it so that she had to use a paraffin seal to make sure her goggles stuck to her face. So is.
0: I, again i'm jumping back a little bit but bill burgess is he just like the french version of the comedian bill burr he's just got like a mustache or something on. i'm assuming bill burgess is like english because oh well
1: maybe he's not i don't know burgess is that a french name
0: i don't know i was just picturing bill burr do you know who bill burr no. is oh he's a comedian teresa will know who that is uh and he had a uh but just has a, like a French mustache instead or something like that. <laughs> Hello, I am Bill Burgess. Let's... Or is actually just Bill Burr with a mustache on.
1: Continue. Uh, so she's got the paraffin against her goggles. Uh, for this attempt, two tugboats were in the water with her. One called the Alsace, Alsace, which carried her father and two sisters and a reporter for the newspaper who was sponsoring her attempt. The second tugboat was hired by other reporters in order to cover the story because the first reporter would not let them in the same tugboat with them. During her twelfth hour at sea, Burgess, her trainer, was concerned with the unfavorable winds on the water and called to her saying, Gertie, you must come out. The swimmer lifted her head from the choppy water and said, what for? She came ashore in England at Kingsdown, Kent, 14 hours and 34 minutes later. The first person to greet her was a British immigration officer who requested a passport from the bleary-eyed waterlogged teenager. She was actually 20.
0: Uh, I know you just got out of
1: the water, but passport please (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's in my other bloomers her record stood until 1950 when florence chadwick swam the channel in 13 hours and 20 minutes show off elderly returned home to a huge ticker tape parade in manhattan more than two million people lined the streets of the parade route to cheer for her she went on to play herself in a movie and toured the vaudeville circuit. She met President Coolidge and had a song and dance step named after her.
0: Okay. <laughs> I am President Coolidge. Puts on sunglasses. Like what the oh, I don't never heard of him, but he he sounds cool. Itch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: A fall down the steps of her apartment building in 1933 twisted her spine and left her bedridden for several years. But she recovered well enough to appear at the 1939 New York New York World's Fair. Elderly had had poor hearing since she was a child due to the measles, and by the 1940s she was almost completely deaf. She eventually taught swimming to deaf children. She never married and died in 2003 at the age of 98.
0: Well, that's a good long, long life, a lot longer than a lot of the people in these stories so. Mm-hmm. Okay, All what's right. our final one?
1: And this brings us to our final woman for now, Queen Boudica. I first learned about Boudica when I lived in England, and I thought she was the coolest.
0: Sorry, the way you said that it sounded like you're like you're remembering your uh, um your summer with her or something like that. I remember when I first heard about uh what was her
1: name? Boudica.
0: I remember when I first heard about Boudica. Oh, she was crazy.
1: <laughs> she was an ancient British queen who lived around 55 CE and led a revolt against Roman rule.
0: Yeah, Not that, my- that was around when you were
1: born, right? Yes. So we were best friends. Burn. you gotcha, good. <laughs> Got you good, you fucker. Not much is known about her early days. Scholars think that she was born around 30 CE in Camaldonium, which is now Colchester. We know for sure, however, that she was born into either a prominent family or had royal blood. Boudicca was born into the Celtic society that was cool with women holding power. Women could rule, participate in politics, choose who they married, and even get divorced. If a husband harmed his bride by law, she could poison him or even cut off his head. Beware, Dakota. (laughs) According to ancient sources, Boudicca was a pretty terrifying figure. She was a tall, statuesque woman with a piercing gaze and commanding voice. She also had greater intelligence than often belongs to women. That was a quote of somebody describing her. So she was smart. To top it off, she was remembered often for her incredible hair, It was long, thick, and vibrant red that went all the way down to her waist. The Roman Emperor Claudius had begun to conquer Britain around 443 CE, and he did so with an iron fist. The Esseni people, to which Boudicca belonged, realized that it would only be a matter of time before they invaded their land. Incidentally, Boudicca's husband was the king of the Esseni, and they lived in what is now known as Norfolk. So the two struck a deal, the Esseni and the Romans. If the Romans continued to let them live the way that they wanted, the Isini wouldn't make trouble for the new invaders. For a time, the agreement worked, but eventually this fell apart. When her husband died in 60 CE, he left no male heir and thus left his wealth to his two daughters and the emperor Nero, hoping that it would give imperial protection to his family. Instead, the Romans annexed his kingdom and humiliated his family. The Romans used his death as an excuse to take over the tribal lands and prove to the Iceni who were the boss. They immediately began their brutal spree by tearing through Boudica's home and looting all her valuable items. Though Celtic law had stated that Boudica would rule the Iceni when her husband died, the Romans did not care. After they stole her possessions, they ripped off her clothes tied her to a pole, and viciously whipped her in front of her subjects. Then, the men took her daughters and violated them. This was horrifying for the Esseni, as for the most part, Queen Boudica and her husband had been allies to the Romans. This was cold-blooded betrayal by them. Two reasons are hypothesized for this. One, being that in the patriarchal Roman society, they did not want to work with a powerful queen. And two, the location of the Esseni territory was well protected with water and a forest surrounding it. It was hard to invade, and thus pleasing and wanted by the Romans. So Boudica has been ousted as queen, and she has no power. So she immediately plans a rebellion. There were other tribes in the area who also had disputes with the Romans. Trinovanti, the Conolvi, and the Derogates were just a few who were under Roman rule, and un- being under Roman rule included heavy taxes, religious suppression, and land theft. They were more than happy to rise up against the Roman Empire. By the time she was done traveling among these groups raising an army, she had gathered 100,000 men to fight with her as their leader. Before leading her forces to battle, she reportedly gave a rousing speech saying, We British are used to women commanders in war. But I am not fighting for my kingdom and wealth now. I am fighting as an ordinary person for my lost freedom, my bruised body, and my outraged daughters. You will win this battle or perish. That is what I, a woman, plan to do. Let the men live in slavery if they will. I just got goosebumps
0: and then she yelled freedom and then rode off her on her horse while she was uh while she had uh, face paint on
1: you know it's very similar to that uh, Braveheart scene yes yes mm-hmm. so they burned down a number of areas starting with Camaldonium the capital city of Roman Britain by attacking Camaldonium Boudica was sending a message she was coming for the Romans and she was not going to back down they headed to the temple of Claudius and burned the entire building down according to ancient sources Boudica's preferred method of execution was severing her enemies' heads from their bodies. Same. She would hold up the bloody head and declare that it was a sacrifice to her favorite goddess, Andrasta. I feel like we're the same person. Her raid was so extreme that the rivers were, quote, purpled with blood. She went on to attack Londinium, which is London today, where another ancient Roman account states that she hung up the noble women there like animals, cut off their breasts, and sewed them into their mouths. When this was done, she would skewer them on a stick. She and her army also sacked the city of Verulamium. According to a Roman historian at the time-ish, Boudicca's rebels massacred 70,000 Romans and pro-Roman Britons and destroyed the Roman 9th Legion. In 61 CE, after destroying three of Rome's most prized settlements, Boudica prepared for one final battle that if she won, would finally defeat the Romans and bring Britain back under Celtic control. To this day, historians aren't sure where this final standoff took place exactly, but they kind of know what the topography looked like. And with as many as 230,000 men fighting for her against the 10,000 Romans, it seemed as if the battle would go in her favor. However, Boudica's enemies had learned from her past victories and now had a plan to take her down. The Romans arrived to the battlefield first and set up their men in a location that was nearly impossible to attack, with dense forests surrounding them. Because of this, Boudica had no choice but to charge directly at her forces. She had no opportunity to sneak up, and this had disastrous consequences. Her fighting style was not very strategic. She basically showed up, burnt things down, and overwhelmed cities with the sheer number of her men. This time though, as Boudica charged towards the Romans, they strategically threw sharp javelins at the Celts, immediately leading Boudica's men to fall back in enormous swaths. Soon enough, Boudica became desperate to retreat. However, this wouldn't work as she soon realized that she had confined herself inside a death trap. She had been so sure of winning that she had invited families of her fighters to watch from the sidelines of the field, but this also trapped Boudicca and her men inside. Their bulky wagons stopped the forces from being able to retreat from the field, and with the Celts trapped inside, the Romans took full advantage, slaughtering Boudicca's forces and killing approximately 80,000 people.
0: Holy crap. So she was basically like, Hey family, come on, it's it's my final drama performance, okay? You gotta see me. And then it just, like, she forgot all her lines kind of thing.
1: Well, that would be a very gentle analogy, but yes.
0: Thank you. I give the gentlest of analogies.
1: Upon her loss, Boudicca either took a poison or died of shock or illness. She is considered a national heroine of England and has inspired numerous books and movies, and both Queen Elizabeth I and Queen Victoria have taken inspiration from her as a strong woman in power. And now I will too. And there we have it, seven famous women from history thoughts
0: that was fascinating i really enjoyed learning about all these different women and and seeing the differences like they come from such different walks of life so their the stories were all over the place in a good way they were uh all very many of them were very different uh some were inspiring some were tragic it was gripping so the rating yes i give this one nine pirate hookers (laughs) out of ten that's an Anchorman reference, okay. for those of you who don't know.
1: So you're not just going out there saying pirate hookers?
0: No. <laughs> 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 That's uh, a reference to when Ron Burgundy says, you're a smelly pirate hooker, mm. to his co-anchor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was... Wait, so 9 out of 10. That's right. I, I was surprised. I thought I would enjoy it, because, uh, you know, pro-woman and all that. But I just uh, I felt all the stories were engaging in their own ways. I did you have a favorite lady? Maybe I was just thinking about that. I think I'm gonna go with what was the first person's name? Lahan Yes, Kahoot, Lahan. Kah- I think I'm gonna go with her because I love the idea of her being like, "You shall wrestle me, and if you lose, I shall take your horses. But if you win, marriage is in store for you." A <laughs> riddle's three. She was a riddle one, wasn't
1: she? Yeah. The, okay. <laughs> they changed her history
0: to be about riddles, right? Which that was a good, that was a well executed joke on my part. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I I really found that fascinating that um she knew she was gonna kick all these asses mm-hmm. and she sort of I mean do you see it as a, a like a s- smart scheme that she that she was working to like um it's like it's it's like essentially if if Superman uh orchestrated a uh an arm wrestling competition and putting it where th- these men these uh, people who are you know or no say, let's put it this way Clark Kent who people wouldn't know right mm-hmm. uh they don't know who he's superman but he orchestrates an ar- wrestling arm wrestling match and these people think oh this nerdy guy in a gla- in the glasses we're going to be able to beat him no problem and then he just totally obliterates everyone a- and they wager something really drastic well, he's clearly going to take the win, so seems like a scheme. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really smart. I don't know if that's how she saw it, but it just seems like a great way to get 10,000 horses. That's true. So,
1: I, as a wrestler, and knowing what it's like to wrestle against men, don't think I would have ever been that successful, so I am very impressed by her skills why don't you think it would have been successful well i've never i've never won against a man
0: oh sorry i thought you were saying if you were as strong as her either way Um, well that's
1: what i mean i'm like i can't even imagine how strong this woman must have been to be able to be like because she's not just wrestling like rando like
0: yeah she's wrestling big like warriors yeah yeah
1: and she's like no i'm gonna take you down
0: yeah so i mean
1: i have met some women wrestlers that are like that but like Mm. i don't know it's just like that that always just boggles my mind when i think of her
0: yeah for sure so i I think that was that story just really stuck out in my mind. Great. So well done. Well, thank done. you.
1: Thank you. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Leave a review or tell your friends about us.
0: If you want to see behind the scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to send us an email with your thoughts or correction connection that you may have, you can email us at the Reluctant Historian at gmail.com.
1: So we'll see you next week, same time, same place.
0: And just so you don't have to keep on looking up International Men's Day, it's November 19th.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Erickson, host of The Open Highway. You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way I learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more.
0: The Open Highway with Eric Erickson.
1: Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation.